Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode number 82, it's time for a Duquesne preview. The Duquesne Dukes on the docket at home, the home opener for your Mountaineers this weekend. We're going to get into all of that, as always, as we've got another game preview episode of ITG for you here. It is In the Gun, your new favorite WVU football podcast. I'm Wesley Euler with the best teammates in the business, the signal caller, Jed Drenning, and the runaway beer truck, Owen Schmidt, down the sideline. Quick little um, disclaimer here. Jed is in a hotel room, and right now his internet's good, and he looks clear, and he's trying to mess with me and look pixelated. But if he uh, if he gets a little wonky for a few seconds at some point, our apologies. Uh, you know, it's that internet in the hotels. It's hit or miss. Uh, but we obviously wanted to get this uh, this Duquesne preview done for you all. In this episode of ITG, as always, brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online, your number one source for all of your betting needs. You can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for football, baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live bets and all your favorite casino and card games available to play right on your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Use the promo code BELIEVE when you sign up for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's B-L-E-A-V at BetOnline, where the game starts. Before we get into that Mountaineers home opener, gentlemen, a headline, as always, to get us going here. And this was an interesting one. Uh, Caleb Williams, of course, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, quarterback of USC, um, thought of as... You know, maybe Drake may in the conversation as well, too. But one of those very short list of guys right now who's thought uh, to have a really good chance to be the number one overall draft pick in the upcoming uh, what will be the 2024 NFL draft in April. Um, and his father making a uh, a little bit of noise here this week when he said that it's not a lock that his son is going to declare for the draft after this season. Caleb Williams would still have one more year of eligibility. Now, everybody tends to assume you're going to be the first overall pick, maybe at worst second or third, something like that. You're definitely going to go to the pros. But two factors here, gentlemen. The first, um, his father saying that, you know, they don't want him to go to a bad situation, basically. Um, That, you know, the way that the system is constructed, you go to the worst possible team, to the worst organization in the league because of a desire for parity, right? And so that's the gift and the curse, basically, is what his father was saying. And, you know, saying that he's poised to make over $3 million in NIL money this year, so there's not the financial rush for him to jump to the NFL. He's already making decent money with the NIL, Um, and that, you know, there's, we've seen this before that John Elway, you know, forcing his way, uh, out of a situation he didn't want to be in and ended up on the Denver Broncos, Eli Manning saying he would refuse to play for the San Diego chargers at the time. Now the LA chargers, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, guys, we've talked a lot about the ripple effects of NIL. Um, and this might actually be one that's, you, you could certainly say is good for college football. If you've got guys who, don't feel like they have to rush to the NFL to chase that money of, hey, the situation, the timing is not right for me, and I can continue to make some money and support my family staying here in school. Hey, that's probably not going to make uh, all the NFL scouts and talent evaluators and the the billionaire suits happy, but I, I think it, it certainly um, is one of those NIL wrinkles that will have a, a, a big effect here on, on college football. I don't understand the declaration part of it. In other words, if you're an underclassman, 
uh, you're supposed to declare or announce for the NFL draft within seven days following the national championship. So is he saying he won't make a declaration? Is that what he's saying? Because is somebody going to draft him if he hasn't declared? Or I, I, that's the part I can't mm -hmm. figure out. I mean, I, I get what he's saying. He'd like to have the best of both worlds. And, you know, making $3 million a year in NIL, unlike in a past life when players couldn't do that, what's the rush to get out? But at the same time, following the structure and the timelines that are set up leading up to the NFL offseason, up to the draft, seven days after the college national championship, you're supposed to declare as an underclassman. Is he going to declare or is he not going to declare? I mean, it's not like all the teams, let's say you're some team like the Cardinals that maybe he doesn't want to play for. He doesn't like the organizational structure of Arizona. It's not like the Cardinals are going to come out and tell him the week of the national championship game, hey, buddy, better not declare because, yep, we're taking you. So yeah, we're taking you first overall. Work, right? I don't. That's the disconnect for me. I don't understand that part of it. Yeah, no, that makes – I mean, that makes sense. Go ahead, Big O. No, that's that's strange, and and quite honestly, hey, man, it's the NFL, dog. All right? <laughs> Just, you know, if you don't want to go, don't go, but it, you don't really have – you don't have a choice. I mean, whoever's going to pick you is going to pick you. That's probably going to really deter some teams from picking you, honestly. Um, maybe that's why he's coming out with it like that. Who knows? I don't know. That's maybe a, that's yeah. his choice. You're exactly right, Owen. Because you, 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 yeah, maybe you, don't have you a alluded choice. to, I mean, I, I was 13 in 1983 when John Elway did this, but I was old enough to remember it, it seemed very much without precedent. And wait a minute, how can you do this? The Colts are drafting you. Go to the Colts. That's how this works. Well, he was John Elway, and now history tells us he was John Elway. So you have to have a certain cachet to do that. And now I would argue Caleb Williams might, in fact, have that. He's that type of player, or at least appears to have that potential type of, of talent and potential. But uh, Eli, same type of thing. I, I, that was more like Archie getting involved, and they wanted a big market situation from, you know, to cash in on, on marketing opportunities, and San Diego wasn't viewed that way. Yeah, similar but different situations. But this one, you're right, Owen. Maybe what he's doing is lining this up to deter certain teams from drafting him. I, I, yeah. I again, I is he or, going to be in the draft hall or isn't he? That's the question. Is he? You either forego the draft or you don't. In other words, a week yeah. after the national championship, he's either returning to college. You, you see what I mean? Or he's not mm -hmm. going to the NFL one way or the other. That's the part that is unique here, but maybe what this does, it precipitates change on the college front where they relax some of those rules in terms of you have to, in a very you know, tough fashion, declare one way or the other definitively, and maybe some of that will be loosened up moving forward in the years to come, but there has to be some level of structure to it because you can't just have the Wild West where everybody declares for the draft. And then half the half the players or prospects don't like where they're drafted. And now the NFL sitting there and they drafted eight guys or seven guys and, and only three of them are coming to camp. You can't have that either. And the NFL. Well, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that would be. Where possible. does this go? Where does this go? Is he in the draft pool or isn't he? Right. That's, like they're not going to. The they're not going to let him do the NBA thing, right? Where you can declare for the draft, but as long as you don't hire an agent, you can go back to school. Like I, I don't see the NFL ever. I mean, without that's never the rules no. on that front. The second you the it's second nice you declare, say, hey, your college eligibility is gone. It's nice to say, hey, I don't have to go to the NFL draft. I have three million dollars waiting on me at USC for another year. 
But you got seven days to say that after the national championship. It's not like you can declare and then three weeks before the NFL draft in April, the end of, end of April, beginning of May, say, I, I don't like what the way this is sounding, the way this is looking, I'm coming back. You can't do that unless the NCAA changes a bunch of rules. So that's the part we have to figure out. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. And you know what, guys? Maybe this is the cynic in me, but I, I, I also, as we're talking this all out, Maybe it's just a power move by Caleb Williams and his father to try and get more NIL money from from USC and their boosters and their trust. Uh, you know, um, it, it can simply be that as well, too. We know how negotiations work. Sometimes people bluff. Sometimes people say things that they don't mean just to see how some people are going to react. Maybe it's just as simple as, hey, you know, we go out here and, and shake some of these feathers. Maybe we can get you an extra million or, or two bucks uh, from some USC boosters. Ransom who, style. If you right. ever want to see me worth 13 as a Trojan again, you have seven days to comply with my demand. That's After right. That's right. And I want, I want half a million in fifties. I want half a million in twenties. I want half a million in tens. But certainly million dollars. another, uh, another branch of this tree that is this brand new uh, NIL quirk in college football and how it continues to change and evolve and all these things, something that we will uh, obviously keep an eye on here. We're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side. Wes, before we take the break, mm-hmm. real quick, I got. I want to get this trivia knocked out before we get into the preview because this is a WVU scheduling trivia question. Let me okay. ask you guys. Uh, and Skylar, it might be cool if you could, even on the YouTube side, pop up the schedule on the screen so people can consider before they answer. Here's the question. Which games on West Virginia's schedule this year have or will pit two Orange Bowl champions against each other. And what I mean by that is this. West Virginia is a former Orange Bowl champion. We won the Orange Bowl, okay? Penn State won the Orange Bowl. So last week was a matchup between two former Orange Bowl champions. We have two more of those games remaining on the schedule. So there's three total out of 12 games, three of West Virginia's games on the schedule are matchups between two former Orange Bowl champions. One was Penn State last week, two more to come. Who are the two more to come this year on West Virginia's schedule? In other words, who do we face that, like us, has won an Orange Bowl? There's only two Big left. O. Big O, you guess first. Oh, God. Are you looking it up? I'm not. I swear, I'm not looking. I'll put my hands here. I'm not looking. I just pulled up our <laughs> – I just pulled up our – I swear, I pulled up our schedule real quick just to make sure I had all the teams in front of me. I swear. Orange Bowl. Uh, maybe the Sooners. Uh, bing, bing. That's one. Good job. That was that was going to be one of my guesses. Bing, bing. There's one. So, right. out of three games, we've already played one against Penn State, who won the Orange Bowl. We will play Oklahoma later in the season. I got, I got this. Bowl. You got another guess, Big O, or you want me to go? You, you got it. Let's see if you got it. BYU. That's incorrect, sir. Cincinnati. Is that your final answer? All right, easy Regis Philbin. I mean, Big O, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like Cincinnati. Uh... Orange Wait. Bowl. I mean, that's a pretty No, it's not. Bowl. It's no, I was going to say, it's not Pitt. It's not Pitt. Um... Not Pitt. No, come on. Wait, is it Duquesne? Is it Duquesne? It is Duquesne. The 1937 Orange Bowl really? champion Duquesne Dukes you, with a 13-12 victory over Mississippi State. 
Yes, it's Duquesne. Yes, very well, well played. O- when you think about the blue bloods of college football, right behind Oklahoma is Duquesne. So, that makes it- <laughs> you know, right. oh, and here you and I are trying to like really think about this, and we should have known with the Duquesne preview that Jet, you know, that's a classic Jet move there. Perfect segue, Wes. Now I'll take your break. Now we got to get the break because we're all embarrassed here. We got to let Jed dunk on us when we go to commercial. But when we come back, you sneaky snake, you. We'll talk about those Duquesne Dukes on the other side. You are in the gun. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guarantee to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit Fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. Back in the gun here. It is time now to take a deep dive at the upcoming matchup. The home opener against the Duquesne Dukes. Yes, Pittsburgh's foremost athletic program coming down to collegiate athletic program coming down to Morgantown before some other, I don't know, Panthers or something, some brawl out in the backyard, I've been told, is the following week. I don't know, but this is the granddaddy with the Dukes coming to town. 6 p.m. Saturday night is the kickoff. And, Jed, here's here's where I want to go to you to start this. Um, this is a football game. This is 60 minutes. This is where crazy things have happened and teams can lose games like this. But we also know, I mean, there's a reason why it's, it's. I, I, at least I looked earlier today, I couldn't find a spread on this game, no over-unders, n- none of that stuff, yeah. because it's yeah. one of those that they kind of take off the board because they view it as so lopsided. You know, the ESPN predictor says that WVU wins this game 99.8% of the time, you know, yeah. or, or, or something like that. So when you're doing a game preview that is, you know, on paper as lopsided as this one, where do you begin? Uh, look at it like this, like, let's drop the pretense and we should win this football game going away. All right. We should win this football game going away, but there's a lot of things we have to demonstrate and show and confine it ourselves along the way. I always remind people the, the team in 2011 that won the orange bowl 
the Geno, Stedman, Tavon team, was losing 12 to 10 to Norfolk State at halftime. <laughs> they were. I always remind people of that. So take care of your business. Don't put yourself in that kind of situation. Not to claw your way out in the second half, as that team did. So when you look at, at Neil's history, for instance, against FCS opponents, because this is an FCS opponent, former 1AA, uh, we have faced four with Neil as the head coach. Towson, 65-7 to in 2022. Long Island, 66 to nothing in 2021. Eastern Kentucky, 56-10. to The COVID year, the crazy empty stadium season opener. Uh, and then the JMU game, different animal. They were a really good FCS team about to move up. We were in a transition. We weren't a very good football team at all in so many ways. Uh, but the 20-13 to dogfight in that one. Uh, even you go back to Troy. As a head coach, Neil faced four FCS teams at Troy, which is a G5 school, right? He beat Florida A&M 59-7, to Alabama State 34-7, Austin P 57-17, and Charleston Southern 44-16. This should not be a competitive game, okay? You don't want to make it a competitive game. One of the goals is don't make it a competitive game for the half. So right. you want to get a lot of reps. You want to solve a lot of issues. You want to work out kinks. You want to get as many bodies on the field as you can. We'll we'll talk about the things that Duquesne can do to get creative and not let you put the game away as easily as you want to. We'll get into that. But when you look at a big picture, let's start do this first, do that, and then work our way down. Uh, you don't want this to be a game. If it is a game well under the second half, you've got very obvious problems. And heretofore, it hasn't been against one of these teams, but they're not just going to show up and do their part. I mean, they're still scholarship football players. They still put pads and helmets on, right, Owen? I mean, they're still going to want to hit and tackle. This is the biggest game that they'll play this year. So it, it's going to matter to them. So they're not just going to roll over and do their part. So you have to show up and make sure you do your part. I mean, Owen, you played in some of these games, right? So give us your perspective and what that was like from a preparation standpoint. You, you got to stay crisp. You got to stay focused. That's not always easy. But right now, we should be coming out pissed off, hungry for our first win, whether it's against Duquesne or what Duquesne was formerly called in 1878, the Pittsburgh Catholic College of the Holy Ghost. So <laughs> no matter who you're playing, you got to take care of your business, right, Owen? Yeah, uh, I remember playing Eastern Washington. And you got to remember, this is kind of like, this is their championship game, so to speak. You know, this is their Super Bowl of uh, big teams they're, they're able to play in. They have everything to gain and we have everything to lose. So, mm -hmm. you know, to your point, you got to come out crisp. We mm -hmm. have mistakes that we made last week that we have to correct. Um, there's things that we need to try to show. We need to be able to throw the ball downfield and stretch the field. We need to uh, shore up those uh, procedural penalties, mistakes, Um there's, you know, obviously we know we could probably just, you know, run ISO the whole game down the middle and, and it is going to be what it is. That's our strength of our team. But I'd like us to see at least try some different things uh, with what we can do. May, you know, I was even kind of throwing it around with some friends I was talking with earlier. You know, it'd be cool if we are doing well in the game, split time, you know, have Garrett have his first half. And then maybe Nico the second half just to, to get him some PT uh, for development anyways, but just to kind of see what he can do as well. Um, but you, you got to come out sharp and, and you can't snooze on it because you'll get beat. You'll get beat. And these teams, I'm telling you, 
this is their chance to come and play big time football in in, in front of a big time crowd. So hey. you, you can't you can't look by them. What's it? You know what? Go ahead. I was just going to say to add to Owen's point too, like of this opportunity for these guys. Two years ago, they played at TCU. Last year, they last year they played Florida State and Hawaii as well. Yep. So, I mean, Hawaii not on the same level as Florida State and TCU, but still a, a D1 program. I mean, those guys that are on this roster will have some experience running out into big stadiums against Power 5 opponents in a game where they're supposed to lose by, you know, 30, 40 points. So they won't be overwhelmed by that moment, at least. Now, they didn't fare well in, in, in any of those games. I mean, they kept it relatively competitive with Hawaii, but TCU and Florida State blew them out. Um, but that's an interesting wrinkle, too, Jed, because like you mentioned Towson, you mentioned Long Island. Those teams weren't playing Florida State and TCU as well coming you know, coming into Morgantown. So they'll, they'll be ready for the moment. And they there's other kids populating the roster, and they're always, they always are with these FCS teams. They have an SEC transfer at, at running back. So you don't think he's running out in front of some big crowds in his career so far, but it, it it troubles me when people look at a game like this and say you can get nothing out of it. Look, anytime you step on the field in a competitive environment with pads on, if you know the game of football, you can watch the two teams playing and get something out of it. You can you can extract something anytime there's a competitive game. I don't care how overmatched one team might be or appear to be. Like, we talked about this early last season. I mean, Kansas came out and took care of business against Tennessee Tech, 56 to 10. Nobody was paying much attention to that. We were, because Kansas looked like they were doing what you should do against that type of team, whereas Which they don't never do. done that before. Yeah, you weren't used to seeing it. So you, you can tell something every series, to some extent every rep, irrespective of who the competition is, there's something you can tell across the board with 11 on 11 football when you know what to look for. Now, is it going to make you this battle-tested team that's that's ready to, you know, wage war in the fourth quarter against some of these better teams on our schedule? That's, no, that's not what this is about. But everything is a test. Can you be crisp? Can you be focused in a week that the world's telling you you don't need to be? And it says a lot about you if you can show up and be incredibly focused, incredibly crisp, crisp against an opponent that for, for all intents and purposes seems like you you can get away with not being any of those things. Can you be? Because if you are, that's the mark of a good football team. We talked about last week at Penn State, this was a relatively clean effort, clean in the sense that there were no turnovers on the offensive side. We only had five total penalties. Can you have another clean effort? Can you have another clean effort against a, a overmatched opponent that's not just going to show up and roll over? They want to stay in this game as long as they can to make life difficult. Our goal is to not let them do that. And ultimately, you want the day ending with the kind of script Owen just talked about. You want Nico playing a lot, Garrett playing. You, you, you want these freshmen that are going to have to help us at some point, logging more valuable reps in a competitive environment. Again, it drives me crazy when somebody says, oh, you can't tell anything about some team beating another team 82 to 6. Well, then you don't know football well enough. You don't know football. You don't know what to look for. There are some things you can tell from every game. Now, there are far more things you can tell from other games, but and that's kind of the approach that I look at this. And, again, we'll get into the matchups offensively, defensively, the things we need to look for even from a special team standpoint. But, but the larger test is this. Don't be in this circumstance against this opponent. I'll never forget what Dana told that 2011 team in the locker room. I'll never forget this. This is when I recognized Dana doesn't talk like 
most other coaches. I, you know, I came up around Rich, right? Uh, this level of intensity that was second to none. I, I was in there for Stu. I mean, I, I was around Rick Trickett. These are the head coaches that I was around. Okay. And these are the, the, the messages to teams that I heard in the locker room before we went on the field. And this was Dana's second game, third game in Morgantown. So we were still kind of getting to know each other. And he told the team before we went on the field, it wasn't this raw, raw, Newt Rockney, win one for the Gipper thing. No, he's like, these guys aren't that good. You're way better than it. We got more scholarships. We're faster. We're bigger. We're stronger. We're way better than it. He said, now, if you go out there and screw around and lay an egg and act like you don't have to show up and play, you're going to find yourself in a dogfight. If you go out and take care of business, we'll blow them out and we'll sub the whole second half and have fun. He said, but if not, they're going to be, in, you're going to be in a dogfight against a team. You shouldn't be in a dogfight because you're way better than them. And what happens, we play, you know, we lay an egg in the first half. It's 12, 10 and a half time. He literally broke up in a Gatorade, looked at those guys and said, I told you, here's your dogfight. Here's your dogfight. You made your bed. Now get out. You're better than them, but you sure didn't look like in the first half. You're going to look like in the second half. On well, the second half, trailing 12 to 10, we outscored him 45 to nothing to win 55 to 12. But his point was well taken. You're better than them, but it doesn't matter if you're better than them if you show up and don't execute like Owen's talking about. Yep, absolutely. Funny aside for you. Uh, five years in Morgantown for me, that was the one game I missed as a student was, was that game because I got invited to sit in a suite at the big house for the Michigan Notre Dame game, college game day, all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, all right, uh -huh. I got to go. And then I'm sitting there tailgating in Ann Arbor, like looking at my phone, like son of a, what are we doing? What the hell is going on here? <laughs> it's, it's, it's my, it's my fault because it's the one game I'm missing in my That's five right. years as a it student. Um, but yeah, fortunately they took care of business and I didn't have to sweat that one out very much. All right, Jed matchups then, right? Well, quickly, a uh, thank you to our friends at Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. They're doing great stuff for our student athletes and NIL. I don't know. I heard they might even have Caleb Williams calling them up for some favors here soon. So make sure you're getting your butts yeah. uh, on, on down to Grafton uh, and support those who support our Mountaineers. Taj Butts is his name there, Jed. I mean, that's just a great football name. The running back for Duquesne, who, 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 uh, who was, uh, was at Missouri. Jed mentioned yep. sec kid Taj butts is his name. Jed 104 yards on just nine carries in Duquesne's week one win. So, all right. How do you bottle this guy up and not let him get going and not let them get any momentum established? Uh, yeah, he's a kid. Uh, explosive has a burst, very compact, 5'10, 210 pounds. Uh, pretty shifty kid. Owen runs with some lower body strength. You're gonna have to bring him down. I mean, they got another kid in, in Jamario Clements. Uh, and Clements is a kid that, uh, you know, another 5'10, two Bills kids. So they, they have some physicality to them and some punch in the run game. Uh, so you're gonna have to control your gaps, you're gonna have to find a way to get some penetration. Uh, the, the guy pulling the trigger. Uh, when, when you look on the perimeter, Darius Parentes. Now, what's interesting about this guy, he's a, a Rhode Island transfer, but he's been there a handful of years. In 2021, he made his – he's been a backup for the better part of the last couple of years, but their starter was dinged up on and off, so he got to play quite a bit, but he's the man coming into the season, uh, Parentes. And two years ago, he made his first start with Duquesne against Ohio U, the Bobcats. And all they did in that game was go on the road to Athens – and it was the first time in the history of the program they knocked off an FBS school. They beat him 28-26. And 
his first start. So just imagine, oh, and that's kind of their Sugar Bowl win over Georgia. This guy started, his first career start was in that game. They won that game in that environment. So he's been pulling the trigger and making plays for them off and on for a long time. So he's a guy that understands uh, the big picture, what they're trying to do offensively. Now, when you look at him, he's a thick kid that you really got to secure in the pocket. I mean, one of these plays that he made uh, against Edinburgh last week, it looked like backyard football. It really did. It was, uh, they had a corner blitz from the boundary and the corner had him dead rights and he kind of just ducked and shook him off. And then he just extends the play and breaks out. He throws a 40 yard touchdown. And I just had to watch the body language of that corner. Like, are you kidding me? How did I make, let that happen? But so you have to bring him down. You have to secure the tackle. Uh, he has some size to him as well. He's, he's a thick 220, a compact six foot kind of guy. Uh, but he's played a lot of football. He's seen a lot of things. And, and their offensive coordinator, you kind of get the sense. This guy is, first, he's, first of all, he's been there on that staff for 12 years. Uh, and he's been in this role coaching the quarterbacks and serving as coordinator for, since 2016, Anthony Doria, uh, you know, former player, a very successful quarterback at that level himself. I, I think he has a good relationship from a play caller to quarterback when you look at him and Parentes. So you're going to secure the tackle. Don't let this kid escape and extend plays. If you do that, if you let him extend plays and he shakes loose from a pressure package, now all you're doing is what's the concern of our of our unit defensively, the back end. We're still trying to find ourselves on the back end. We gave up all these big plays last week. That was a shortcoming of ours a year ago. We're trying to find ourselves in the secondary. Well, the last thing you want to do is let this guy extend the play for another three or four seconds and add that much more stress on our secondary, which has already struggled. So don't let that happen. Uh, on the perimeter, uh, another transfer. That's a recurring theme, not just in college football in general, but more specifically with teams at this level. You see a lot of it. This, there's a wideout named DJ Powell, number four. Uh, he's a Bethune-Cookman transfer. He's 6'3", pushing two bills, probably in the low 190s, but plays a pretty physical brand of football when there's a 50-50 ball in the air. I mean, he's made multiple plays. I see there's a great level of trust Parentes has with this kid. He will put it up and give him a jump ball. And, and just as often or more often than not, that kid wins those jump balls. But uh, that's something to definitely keep an eye on. So when you look at the tests that are going to present themselves for West Virginia, I think one of the things you have to look at is, again, Lee Coba played lights out football last week, no matter how you stack it. I mean, we always talk about when it comes to the metrics and these websites, uh, we all have this love-hate relationship with pro football focus, for instance. I mean, sometimes I have like a 40-snap rule with, with pro football focus because when you look at the wide array of guys that they have grading that tape, sometimes the evaluation that you're looking at does not match what you're studying on the game tape. It doesn't at all. Uh, guess who the highest-graded tackling team all of last year in the Big 12 was by pro football focus? Guess who it was? WVU. West Virginia. They PFF had us as the best tackling team in the Big 12. So if all you're going to do is read stats off PFF's website without corroborating that with some with some film study, which I do, that's where my 40 snap rule comes in. In other words, if PFF gives me a stat and they're good for a lot of good stuff, they are. I'll give them credit. I, I want to evaluate and get the sense of, all right, the guy that was grading this to attach that number to it knew what he was doing. Okay. And, and that's kind of what I was looking at with Lee Coba last week. But they have a stat uh, at Pro Football Focus, and it's called stop, not just a tackle, but a stop. And they define that as a tackle that constitutes a failure for the offense. 
So we all know that Lee Cove had 13 total tackles last week, and it was a nice blend that that appeals to me. Seven seven uh, solo tackles, six assisted. And the six is kind of, I always say that the dog chasing the bone. He wants a piece of that meat. He's flying after the pile. He wants a piece of it. So he had 13 total tackles. But maybe even more impressively, when you look at that stop, that failure by the offense, he had a Big 12 best eight stops more than any other Big 12 defender in week one action. And some of those Big 12 defenders were not playing Penn State. We know that. So great football by Lee Koba. Let's see if he can take the next step and just absolutely dominate a lesser opponent this week because he needs to and we need him to. If we want to put these guys away and get the reps that we're talking about getting with so many bodies and hockey substitutions, guys like Lee Koba have to take care of business early. And then we had nine hurries and seven quarterback hits against an incredibly talented Penn State offensive line uh, and an incredibly talented quarterback in Drew Aller. I mean, some of the things Drew Aller was doing when we almost sacked him, those quick delivery throws, those quick answer throws, he looked like a guy when I was studying that film that has played in this offense a whole heck of a lot more longer than than one star and spot play last year. He was very top of where his quick answer throws were. But those are the types of things that defensively I think we need to take a look at. And, and just as importantly in that, when, when you look at snap counts, okay, that's one of the things that kind of tells the tale of how a game is unfolding. Let's let's talk D-line hour, and I want you to jump in here first. Sean Martin led the charge with 54 snaps against Penn State, okay? Uh, I'm going to go through quickly, and here's, here's how things went out. Eddie V had 48. Big Mike Lockhart had 44. Fatorma Moba, the Penn State transfer, pitched in with 15. D. Hawkins, a dozen. Tommy, a uh, young guy from Kentucky, uh, he made some plays for us in just eight snaps. Now, Hammond Russell, didn't it feel like Hammond Russell was somewhat of an impact player in that game? He had five snaps. You think it's going to be limited to five moving forward? I don't think so. And then Jalen Thornton with four. So, Owen, first, before we go further to the back end, the second and third levels, what do you think about that snap count mix and how – what we need to do to take care of our business against Duquesne defensively. Well, obviously the, the kind of the first group got heavy reps, right? We got yep. a lot of reps for the heavy um, for the first team, you know, versus Duquesne, you, you know, probably the game plan is, Hey, depending on what, what we're doing with the score, uh, get those guys in and out, play those twos, get them some reps, kind of get them to see, gets a little bit more action. Um, some of those guys who kind of outshined in the lesser reps probably mm-hmm. get a little more playing time this week. Um, and, and to their, to their hat, uh, well-deserved, right? I mean, you yeah. got to take those opportunities and make the best of them. And sometimes they're few and far between. You only get a couple reps here and there. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully up front, you know, Obviously, we got to get some pressure on this guy. He's a big quarterback, 220, right? Mm-hmm. Um, get some pressure on this guy, you know, make a move, see how we can work within um, the offensive line and make sure that we're, you know, playing sound up front, playing tough, getting the penetration that we need to to stop the pass game and and stuff in the run uh, when they do run the ball. So hopefully some of those second team guys get some reps in there. We can kind of see what they can do as far as moving on for the rest of the season. And uh, hopefully they can help out the best they can and, and we see good things. And Wes, also, one of the things to consider, we're going to want to do this. You want to take care of business. You want to put knock them out early. You want to rep a lot of kids. Yeah. But you also want to do it being somewhat vanilla. 
In other words, you're not going to see a lot of exotic twists. We don't want to show them to pit if we haven't oh, shown them. You ain't run, you ain't, you ain't run no. any trick plays this week against That's Duquesne. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you don't have any intention of running the movie forward, right? Right. But right. Uh, so when, when you, we talked yeah, this about is base defense stuff, Jed. What's that? Base defense. Yeah, that's right. And we talked about in camp, D-line rotation of potentially eight, nine bodies, right? That's what we were looking at. So I just named eight guys that got snaps. Now, I think the goal would be when you look at the bottom half of those snaps, Jalen Thornton, four, Hammond Russell, five, Tommy, eight, you know, D Hawkins, 12, even Fatorma with 15. They'll need to start climbing to even that out a little bit. And then you have a Sonny Redwood coming back soon. So don't look now, but that's now nine guys that will be sharing that burden and sharing those reps. So that's something to monitor. And I do think that we need to distribute that pretty evenly in a game like this. Now, when you go to the second and third level, let's look at the backers and the DBs. Trey Lathan, 61 snaps, led all defenders. And I think we're all Golly. incredibly pleased with what we saw out of Trey Lathan. At Mike Backer, by the way. So when we cross-train those guys, it puts you in position. He can play Will, he can play Mike, he can move him around. Uh, Beanie Bishop, 60 snaps. Now, again, if I'm excited about anything I saw out of any of our corners or even anybody on the back end, for that matter, it would have been Beanie the other night. He left a couple turnovers on the table. He's got to make the most of those for sure because we got to start stealing possessions. But at that being said, I think he held his own against a very high-quality offense. Let's see if he can take the, take the next step. And, and can he dominate this week and then set the table for what he's ready to do moving forward against Pitt and on down the line? Lee Coble with 58 snaps. We talked about Lee. My guy, Anthony Wilson, 53 snaps. I think it was a tremendous opportunity when Marcus Floyd didn't make the trip. He was a scratch because of the injury. Marcus Floyd stepped – or excuse me, Anthony Wilson stepped right in and did – for the most part, what we expected him to do. With 53 defensive snaps, there's a physical edge to him, a nastiness. Uh, his disposition is what we need on that back end. Uh, Andrew Wilson-Lamp, he was forced into duty for a reason I'll get into here in a second. I don't think they intended for him to get 46 snaps, but that's how it unfolded. Uh, he didn't end up with 46. Keyshawn Cobb, another safety, another transfer that we're very high on, 43 snaps, jumped right into the mix. Aubrey Burks, 40 snaps. Jared Bartlett, 49. Lance Dixon, again, he's playing at Spear, but you're also moving him around a bit, 34 snap snaps. Tyron Bradley, here's a guy we haven't talked much about. Different body type. When you put him in that spot and you can say, all right, attack, attack, or drop into space and cover the pass, 6'3", 250 pounds, that's a nice asset. And he had 30, excuse me, 25 snaps. So that was a nice start for him. And then finally, Montre Miller, who was standing next to me in street clothes the entire second half, he got knocked out of the game in the second quarter. So he ended up only logging 12 snaps, which is part of the reason AWL had 46. So I, I expect once we get healthy, that to kind of equalize a little bit. But these are the types of things we got to look at, guys. When you're, when you're distributing those snap counts, that's where experience comes. Those are actual reps and actual action in actual competitive environments. I don't care who you're playing against. That's a great experience for you. So what can we do defensively to take care of business early enough, execute the plan, ideally from base sets, and then get a lot of faces coming in, coming out? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's that's the blueprint. Um, I think, you know, some of those names that you mentioned there, Jed, from some of the guys who, you know, 
didn't have their strongest performance at, at, at Beaver Stadium out there in Happy Valley. I think I'd like to see a big bounce back from those guys as well, too. You know, Wilson Lamp, Aubrey Burks, guys who would have wanted some of those playbacks, plays back. Even a Beanie Bishop, who I thought played a pretty solid game, but like you mentioned, had an opportunity, a couple turnovers. Uh, maybe some uh, guys along that offensive line as well, too. Uh, Garrett Green, you know, like, and again, there's different varying. I'm not saying any of those guys were a disaster or terrible or anything like that, but would probably agree that they didn't have their best game or the game that they wanted to, like you mentioned, go out there, first couple series, execute. If you're on defense, three and outs, three and out, okay, maybe they pick up a first down here, but, you know, no more than six or seven plays and you're off the field. Offense, string drives together, maybe an explosive touchdown, right? Let's see a 60 or 70-yard touchdown, something like that. Then let's see a nice five, six, seven, eight play drive, something in that regard. Um, just something to get those guys feeling good in stadium once again as well, too, um, after a, a tough, uh, a very tough test uh, up there in, in Penn State. Uh, a thank you to our friends at Fortis for presenting this episode of ITG as well, too, for roof performance and financial security guaranteed. Make sure you visit Fortis.us.com. All right, Jed, bring her on home for us. Final thoughts, final matchups to keep an eye on here. Uh, yeah, when you look at Duquesne's defense, you just hit on something, Wes. Uh, the 60 or 70-yard touchdowns, that's how you put these teams away, the big plays. Like, when I think of C.J. last year with the 80-plus-yard run against Towson, yep. one of the things that this is incumbent upon the receivers to do, if you want to put them away early, you block downfield. Okay, big plays are downstream from big blocks on the perimeter. Right, Owen? So – the, the wideouts need to to handle their business on the perimeter. I mean, look at the blocking on that 80-some-yard touchdown CJ had last year against Towson. Yeah, Bryce, Bryce Ford Wheaton took out two guys on that but, play. But defensively, that's what has to happen for these types of big plays to help put them away. But Duquesne defensively, and this is where it gets a little more interesting. They have a D coordinator, Mike Craig. He took over. He was an assistant. Took over last year for a long time assistant. They had Dave Opfar up there was their coordinator for over a decade, a dozen years or so. And the biggest thing was a year ago, they found themselves as a defense in transition. Uh, they went from a long time and even front scheme, more of a 4 2 5 scheme, to an odd front. And from a personnel standpoint, that's never easy. Of course, it's a little easier in the age of the portal. So you can recruit your personnel to fit the types of schemes because even fronts and odd fronts are, are two different animals up front, even on the second level with what you're trying to do. But when you look at some of the things that they have succeeded in doing, you can already see a leap that they took this offseason. They struggled in that transition to some extent last year. I mean, first of all, I think as a team at large, they struggled last year. They were four and seven last season, which is uncharacteristic for them. That was a, a year that was marred by they had a lot of injuries and they had a lot of close losses. And they were putting in a new defense and installing an entirely new scheme. Well, they started last week against Edinburgh. Now, Edinburgh is overmatched against them like they're overmatched against us. But they took care of their business. How did they do it? One of the ways they did it, they forced five turnovers. They first four turn, forced four turnovers, guys, in the first quarter against Edinburgh. Wow. You want to put these guys away? Imagine with yeah. the gun sounds, 15 minutes of the game, we forced four turnovers. Yeah. What do you get the scores yeah. in the and that's kind 35 of nothing. Exactly. So they, they've got some guys that they've got a pass rusher that we got to look out for and handle him. Uh, that he's 6'2, 255. He's strong off the edge. Kevin Kurzinger, uh, that's a kid that he he used to be a running back that speaks to his his athleticism. Uh, he was a he had a physicality to him in the run game, but a couple of years ago he moved to linebacker and now he finds himself as an edge player. Uh, they have a corner in Aiden Garns. He had a pick six, third or fourth play of the game. 
last week. Reddit made a very uh, skilled pick that was thrown behind him, took it to the house to get in the early lead. Uh, he's a physical kid that plays the ball well. Uh, he plays above his 165 pounds. He's not a real big kid from Philly, but he plays above that size. Uh, another kid named, named Ty Howard, uh, he's six foot, 195 pounds. He's going to be a factor potentially as a second level threat in the pass rush. So these are all guys, Shane Stump, uh, transfer from Youngstown State. He's played a lot of college football. These are guys that have played a lot of football. They've been through the battles with them. Antonio Epps, their free safety. Uh, you're going to have to account for him. They have a preseason all-conference D tackle in A.J. Ackerman. That's their 310-pound guy. So can Zach Frazier and the guards handle their business on the interior? But that's one of the things that I look at. First of all, we went from last week, Owen, and even front defense with Manny Diaz to this week and odd front defense against Duquesne, which is going to serve us well because you're going to see a lot of odd front schemes defensively once we get into Big 12 play. And again, next week back into more of the even type stuff. But but uh, this is a group that sometimes they'll play games on third down. It's that that kind of tinkering where they'll stand 11 guys with with a handful of them hovering around the, the uh, line of scrimmage defensively along the defensive line with nobody with their hand in the dirt, 11 guys standing up. They'll play some of those games. So you don't know what gap they're trying to get a beat on. Uh, they like to bring pressure. Uh, they like to obviously typical stuff. They'll stunt and blitz behind it. But a lot of five and six man pressures, they'll throw some zero at you. Uh, again, I think that was a matchup thing against Edinburgh more than it will be against us. And another thing, They'll test us up front in the sense that they like to stem a lot. And what I mean by that, Wes, is, uh, Owen, you know what I'm talking about. They they move pre-snap along the defensive line. So you might see a guy as an outside shade. Next thing, they kick their front. He's an inside shade. Now, first of all, that tests your communication on the offensive line. But second of all, you got to be make sure that you're not false starting. I mean, that kind of movement. When we think back to what ended yeah. up happening uh, with that, that bad snap at the end of the Oklahoma game out in Norman in 2020, that was the byproduct of Oklahoma stemming so much before it. Now, they were giving a cadence with it. Go! And that made Zach snap the ball, hold over an animal. But it tests you as an offensive line when a team shows that much pre-snap movement. So not only is it an odd front configuration that we haven't seen, we'll see it later, so it's good snaps for us. But in addition to that, it's a lot of pre-snap movement. So we're going to be tested with that, too. Well, there we go. I tell you what, it's good. Listen, you 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 want to put them away early, but you also want to have some boxes that you can check in the process, right? Uh, mentally, physically, like you mentioned, from a preparation standpoint in terms of being prepared for these guys and knowing what they're going to present and how you counter it and, and limiting week, procedure. We yep. almost blocked the punt last week. We came a whisker away from blocking the first part of the second half last week. Can we finish that job against these guys? Can you make a big play on special teams? Can you return a kick? Can you block a kick? So in transition units, you have an opportunity. Because, again, oftentimes they talk about depth being the issue, the biggest difference between Power 5 football and FCS football because the scholarship numbers. Well, that impacts your transition units, which are population populated by reserves as much as anywhere, right? There's a lot of backups coupled with some starters sprinkled in there. But if you can make a play against their special teams units, again, we're trying to stick to a script to get us ahead early, to get us comfortable early, and then kind of have our way with who we sub in and sub out. Special teams, not to interrupt, but special teams can play a role with that as well. Who's going to be the guy that makes the big play in the return game? We haven't seen that since Moby Dick was a guppy. Maybe this is the day. 
Well, Jed, we haven't seen that since two years ago when Winston Wright took the opening kickoff back to the house against Long Island. And it was kind of like, all right, well, that's how you start a game when you're playing a lesser that's opponent. Right. And 10 seconds into the game, you're up 7 nothing. That's how you get Great them point. thinking, oh, crap, this is going to be a long day. Here we go. Uh, yeah, something like that would absolutely go a long way to uh, to putting these guys away. All right, gentlemen, we've had pretty good fortune here with our connections. Couple little couple little uh uh little lags for Jed, but nothing crazy. So let's uh let's get out of here before something bad happens. Any any final thoughts, any final word here? Speak now or hold your peace till next week. Well, I wonder if you have it, sorry, but if you haven't seen Phil hit it, hit Phil Steele for the week. That's right. Yeah. Make sure you're checking out uh our previous episode, ITG eighty one. Great stuff on a a uh, our second annual phil thursday um we've got some big things planned for you guys in terms of merchandise we are now over a thousand subscribers on youtube so thanks to everybody uh that has joined us there and skylar putting together the great production and everything that's taken us to the next level um so we got a bunch going on for you guys behind the scenes as well too that that we're kind of working on and moving and shaking to bring you a better product and more things as well too uh, itgfootball.com in the gun podcast and all your different social media channels and as always well hold on Jed did you have a final thought first before I I was going to uh, ask go Owen, close us out you mentioned the Eastern Washington game we beat them 52 to 3 give or take I need to look it up and make sure what do you remember most about that game you only play so many games right now that wasn't the sugar bowl against georgia that wasn't the comeback against louisville it wasn't the fiesta bowl against oklahoma but it was one of a very short list of college football games you got to play so what do you even, even as a guy who didn't play a whole lot in the game because you guys got out early give guys give give the, the, the listeners and the, and the viewers some perspective of how excited you still were to step on the field in front of the crowd to take live reps against an opponent that everybody said, eh, they're not that excited. They're not. What do you remember about it? Just hit us with that. Um, I remember they had this linebacker that played for him who was, he was like five, two, but he absolutely brought the wood. And uh, I wish I remembered his name, but he was a hell of a player. Um, and you know, my, my story is a little bit different than everybody else's because I started at D three and, you know, I played with a lot That's of true. really great football players that were all shapes and sizes that maybe if it had been a little bit taller or a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, or, you know, have a little more agility or, or could throw it farther, uh, would be playing, uh, you know, just the opportunity that I had gotten. Um, yeah. But it's great. there's nothing like a game day because you're, you're sick and tired of hitting your buddies all week. You know, in in the old days where where we hit in practice, and it was a time it was time to showcase what you had, and there's nothing better than singing country roads at the end of a ball game. Yeah, well buddy. Well uh, Owen, it was fifty-two to three. Good call there by you, Jed. Uh, the historian Jedgar Allen Poe at it once again. Uh, Owen Schmidt had uh, seventeen yards and a touchdown on the ground. Oh. And, uh, and 36 yards through the air. So, uh, you know, handful of, handful of touches there for Big O. Caught a couple passes. 19-yard uh, reception there. Uh, Seven-yard touchdown run for Big O in that one as well, too. So, Big O hey, was that a touchdown a mountain field, baby. Were those catches at fullback or at tight end? Do you remember? Oh, they might have been put me. That was Eastern Washington. You're running Ram then, right? Or were you running Ram? I don't think Ram came till 2007, did it? 
Yeah, I mean, they didn't really – They, re- I really evolved to tight end senior year. That's when they really yeah. had me yeah. start kind of doing the sniffer stuff, uh, put me at tight end, put me in a little bit of, uh, like, slot kind of. Eleven um, personnel with you on the field, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, honestly, I can't remember if it was at tight end. It, it probably possibly could have been. Um, I know I did run like they had me doing this wheel play for a while from the tight end from Ram uh, formation, but uh, I I can't honestly remember. I have to go watch back the film, watch the watch the tape, Jed. I mean, watch the tape. Unlike you, I can't remember all the plays. It's it's (laughs) it's honestly fantastic and beautiful. Your mind, because I wish I could be like that. Old Sean McVay over here, I tell you. Man, the coach, you know, you always have those coach. Marty Morningwig probably was the one of the guys who was like, Hey, you met, you know, he'd be talking to Coach Reed or he'd be talking to some player. Yeah, you remember, you know, eight years ago when we were playing Dallas and oh, uh, it was third quarter, quarter and it was, did you hear third that? One? He just mentions Coach Reed. We're talking Super Bowl champion Andy Reed, but continue. That's Coach Reed. Coach yeah, Reed. no, I mean, yeah, it's just right. like those guys just remember every play. They 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 remember the formations. Yeah, this is what I called it. And then I was like, eh, I changed it up, called the Z drag and whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like and and my mind is just like, man, I just want to know what the next play is so I don't <laughs> mess it up. And I don't, don't mess up the next time. Hey, hey, oh, okay. Here's the secrets are coming out now. Who was your go-to yeah. guy? Who did you have to cheat and ask? Was it? I, hey, listen, I was a student of the game. I okay. really studied the playbook, and I was a guy. I was a flash card. I, I would pull up flash because listen, we played um, with Coach Rod. Man, we had we had twelve formations, maybe twelve plays, legit, yeah. Indeed, legit, yeah. and and then you you go to a, a legit West coast offense with Mike Holmgren is at the helm. And I'm telling you, dude, my head like blew apart because you, you know, you're, you're looking for tags, uh, but you really had to know the formations and who was all on the field because a tag might not be the same thing on the same play. So I really had to study hard and I, and, and flashcards was a big deal for me. I, I, I legit was like, I mean, every second of the day, man. I had a whiteboard in my in my apartment, and I studied hella film. I was always watching film, but uh, I was a student of the game. But if I did need help, who are you asking? If I did, if I did need help, usually it was scripted, and I asked the coach before I went in. Smart. You, well, you, say, <laughs> you, you say you say I remember everything. I don't remember everything. Okay, but I, I promise you. I remember the picks. I yeah, remember yeah. the picks. Well, I mean, you're going to remember somebody. Someone. Somebody this morning asked me this morning, Jeb, what's the most interceptions you ever had in a game before the sentence was out of their mouth? Five against Jeff Castile, Shepard Rams in 1992. We got to beat 23. <laughs> and I fumbled. I had six oh, turnovers man. in one game against Rough Castile. Game. That bastard. Game. I'm still trying to get him back. You know what's crazy? I uh, Talking about that. Football is a beautiful game because it allows you to have short-term memory loss. Yeah, it, it forces is in your you benefit to forget the last play and move on. It forces you to, yeah. And you have to. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Absolutely do. Remember the bad I ones. Absolutely do. 
You well, I was going to say, hopefully, hopefully it'll be uh, Duquesne stewing on the bad ones this Saturday night at uh, Milan Pushkar Stadium. Well, we got to take care of this. O'clock. This this Pittsburgh team that won an Orange Bowl, we got to take care of because right after that we play a Pittsburgh team. It's never won an Orange Bowl, so that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, and that Pittsburgh team that's never won an Orange Bowl plays Cincinnati on Saturday night. So let's hope the Bearcats bring out the gloves and give Pitt yes. all they can handle and maybe beat them up a little bit for us. Hey, I wouldn't hate it if that one went into overtime, couple over, maybe seven overtimes between Cincinnati and Pitt. I'll allow it. I'm not against it on Saturday night there at Akershire Stadium. But it will be uh, the Mountaineers and the Dukes, 6 p.m. once again Saturday night. Family day at Mountaineer Field. Hopefully one where uh, all the families will be stress-free. Listen, I'm taking my daughter, all right, who's almost two years old. Just the two of us are going. So, Mountaineers, my daughter really does not need to see me dropping F-bombs and pulling my hair out and stressing over a game against a, against a 1AA opponent, all right? So let's take care of business. Let's get this. And maybe even I could get little Olivia out of there a little early to get home for bedtime. Um, but, uh, yes. Let's uh, let's get some feel good before obviously that big one, September sixteenth, against those non-Orange Bowl winning uh, athletic university department from Pittsburgh. That'll do it for us on this edition of ITG. Been a good week, a full week, twenty uh, for your palate there to get you ready for the Dukes once again. Make sure you're checking out Phil Thursday with Phil Steele, and as always, the last thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast for the Signal Caller Jed Drenning in the Runaway Beer Truck, Owen Schmidt, and our producer, Skyler, as well, too. I'm Wesley Euler. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.